Hello everybody and welcome to Brunvagoon, Bicycle People, Bicycle Stories, Bicycle Life! And it's better to talk about bicycle with the sun outside. New recording room with a window, I can really talk to you just having a look to the sunny. The sunny Berlin out there. It's so amazing, I think I'm getting a tan as well. I am not a huge fan of tan lines, you know, I think they are ugly. But anyways, having a bit of tan on your skin while just riding the bicycle outside is amazing. And then you can fix it just having a swim on the seaside. Okay, I'm going too far away for this thing. Just wanted to say hi to everybody and wanted to say thank you to Wahoo and Isador, my sponsors that are kicking off some cool stuff. Last week I've been to the Velo Berlin there. Uh, there were some people just hanging out and whatever. I also met Ingo from Wahoo. And it was nice to have a look again to all their devices, not only to my Wahoo element that is coming with me on all my rides. Also Velo Berlin, just to mention that I've been riding also a lot of bicycles cargo bikes cargo bikes i'm in love with that i think i'm gonna buy one of those you don't need anything else than a cargo bike why you need a car if you can have a cargo bike let's move on and say that you can contact me always contact me at hello at calamaro.cc that's my email or my social media accounts instagram.com slash calamaro.cc facebook.com slash calamaro.cc twitter.com slash read calamaro then go to apple podcast and look for broom wagoon and then smash the subscribe button or spreaker.com slash listen calamaro smash the subscribe button also there I was asking you to send me the picture or to tag me in the picture or to put Calamaro CC hashtag in all the picture that you have done for La Resistente. Somebody did it, somebody not, but fortunately the guys, Lele actually, from La Resistente put all the picture of this amazing thing, amazing event, on their Facebook page. Also on Facebook, so look for La Resistente. I think it's facebook.com slash La Resistente. I'm not pretty sure. Just have a look there. And uh, you will find all the picture of that amazing day. Everybody told me that was amazing. You have just to double check. Last thing that I wanted to mention, just write me. You, I already told you all my contacts. And ask me for some stickers. So you can have the Broom Wagoon logo, wherever you want, on your laptop, on your phone, on your car, on your head, whatever you really want. The episode of today is amazing because I've been talking with another podcaster. I'm talking about Neil Rogers from Cycling Tips. He's actually the editor-in-chief of Cycling Tips, this uh, amazing website, content website, talking about bicycle from an Australian guy. No, it's from a Canadian guy moved to Australia. A lot of cool stuff. And they're producing one of the best podcasts, cycling-related, I would say, that I've ever heard. And you can see from my voice, from his voice, from the quality of the audio, from the quality of the content and of the sentences and on everything, how cool it was to talk with him. So I will just leave with me and him talking about bicycle and bicycle stuff. So talk to you later. And today I'm, uh, you know, usually I am speaking all the time with cyclists and people around cycling or whatever. Now today I'm still thinking, uh, talking with somebody about cycling, but also somebody around content part of cycling. I'm today here with the editor-in-chief of Cycling Tips. Uh, yeah, try it. Cycling Tips and uh, 
cyclist and also podcast host. Anyways, I'm talking with Neil Rogers and I'm super happy to have him here. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you to waking up in the morning and first thing that you are doing. I hope for you not. I hope that you you took a coffee already. He's <laughs> talking with me from the other side of the world to have an amazing conversation. Anyways, I'm super excited to have you here. Yeah, no, I've, I've had a busy morning. Um, I get up pretty early and we have a young daughter. So um, mm -hmm. every morning we walk around in the back backyard with our dog and our cat and um well she's she's one and a half so we watch the dog and the cat um go to the bathroom outside and then we talk about it that's that's how my days get started <laughs> oh yeah amazing i thought that you were going out with a bicycle as first thing in the morning no no ever since uh ever since we had our little girl uh morning rides are difficult um because you know we're either with her or my um helping my wife get ready for work and get out the door. Um, so I watched my little girl. So yeah, I haven't been on a morning, like an early morning ride in a very long time. Okay. It's a matter of time. No worries. Soon you will have to, to bring your daughter to school with your bicycle. So no worries. Yeah. Yep. No, we do that. When the weather's good, uh, we do that. She, her school is nearby and I have a bike with the trailer and she really likes to be in the trailer. Um, I used to think that I would be able to go on rides and just bring her with me and go ride for an hour and a half with her in the trailer. But um, she falls asleep. Yeah. And it I, I it wrecks her nap schedule. So, I, you know, I can do it in the afternoons, but my wife has forbidden me to do it in the mornings because if she falls asleep and she has a nap at her normal time and then she's, you know, kind of a wreck the rest of the day. But it without fail, if I have her in the bike trailer for longer than about 30 minutes, she's asleep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to have her woken up for, I don't know, till 11 o'clock in the, in the night. Exactly. Doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you all of you can understand uh, from the professionality on the other side of my of my, the microphone talking about the sound quality and also the content quality that yeah Neil is a podcast host. You can listen to his voice, but yeah, let's say uh, give us a small introduction about yourself. I hope that everybody of my audience knows you, but maybe somebody doesn't, and maybe somebody will start also listening to this podcast soon. So. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's. So, my name is Neil Rogers. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I'm 45 years old. I've been working in cycling media for almost 20 years um, and riding bikes for about 25 years. Uh, I got into cycling towards the end of college uh, in Northern California. I went to University of California in Santa Cruz. Um, for those who aren't familiar, it's located uh, on the coast, but up in the redwoods. And mm -hmm. I got into mountain biking through the redwoods with my friends. Um, and I just fell in love with cycling. It was, you know, for me, I was sort of getting out of college and I had done team sports and whatnot. Um, and I wanted to, you know, find something to stay fit. But, you know, like going to the gym just has never been my thing. I, I need to really enjoy it. And, you know, there was exercise that I did that I felt like I should be doing, like swimming or yoga or weights or running, but I didn't really enjoy them. I just felt like I should be staying fit. And when I found mountain biking, it was the first time where I found something I just wanted to do it. I just loved it. It, I, it didn't feel like I had to discipline myself. It was something I looked forward to doing. And I really got passionate about mountain biking in Santa Cruz. And then I moved to San Francisco in 99. Um, 
And it was difficult to mountain bike because I lived in the city and you had to get out of the city to go mountain biking. And that, I actually worked um, for a brief period as a bike messenger in San Francisco. And it was, and I sort of just, that was right when Lance Armstrong started winning the tour de France. And I, that, that was really interesting to me because of his whole story about um, coming back from cancer and, between that and living in the city, I just became more of a road cyclist. Um, and then I moved to Boulder in 2001 to work for Vela News, uh, which is a big American magazine uh, and website. And I started as an editorial intern and I basically just stayed. I never left. I told them that they were going to have to change the locks in order for me to leave. Um, and I've been in Boulder ever since. And yeah, I sort of transformed into a roadie and over the last five years or so, I've kind of switched back more into mountain biking and gravel riding. But, you know, in my garage, I have road bike, mountain bike, cyclocross bike, gravel bike, and a, and a wow. commuter, the one I was talking about uh, with the bike trailer for my daughter. So pretty much, uh, I, you know, I've raced and ridden every type of bike um, and I enjoy them all. Um, I think I probably still consider mountain biking to be my favorite, sort of my first love. It's something I enjoy doing with my wife. You know, she she owned a road bike, and we've done lots of road rides together. But she uh, she's more comfortable on the trails, and I, I don't know. I think I just have more fun mountain biking. But I love it all. I love bikes, and it's you know, it's my hobby. It's also in my passion, but it's also my, my livelihood and it's where my friends are and my social circles. And, um, yeah, I mean, our lives are my life in particular, but even my wife and my daughter, our lives very much centered around cycling. Now that's, that's amazing to, to hear something like this, because it looks like really something that is completely fulfilling your life because it's your job, it's your passion, it's your social life, it's your life couple life and also you make your daughter sleep on the bicycle with you <laughs> wow yeah and also one thing that's great is that boulder has a very nice uh network of of bike paths and you can really get around town without riding on the streets i mean of course you know depending on where you're going you have to get off the bike path and get on into the street a little bit but um yeah, it's really enjoyable, and that's a, a way that I can, and you know, spend time with my wife and my daughter, just get, getting around town um, on the bike path. Uh, and, you know, and there's obviously it's not just bikes. There's there's runners and there's walkers and there's um, you know people people pushing strollers and people walking their dogs. But uh, I feel really lucky to live somewhere where there's such a bike path network, and I I wish that for everybody that they live somewhere where they can get around. You know. It, in another way than being in a car sitting yeah. in traffic yeah for sure yeah actually with this one is something that's arrived into my mind at a certain point because um i was preparing my interview with you and uh, then i read about boulder colorado and then i would say okay boulder colorado something reminds me something that's not the first time that i've been listening to this uh name the name of this city then okay yeah for sure there are a lot of uh bicycle news whatever website or whatever that are based there but that's not the only thing and then yeah more can mindy it's more can mindy <laughs> based there right that's right yeah more can mindy uh, took place in Boulder. I think they probably actually filmed 
the show in Hollywood in Los Angeles, but the show was, you know, supposed to take place here. And there's uh, a house downtown that's the Mork and Mindy house um, where, you know, that was supposed to be the house where they lived. And it's one of the tourist attractions here in town. Although, you know, they I think they have a fence up and a little sign that says, please don't knock on the door. So, um, you know, it's, it's someone really does live there and, and it's just another house on a street in Boulder, but it is a, it's a tourist attraction. Okay. 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 Yeah. But you were mentioning already something you start uh, saying that, yeah, Boulder is pretty cool cycling wise or whatever. Which one is the best thing that makes Boulder so cool for cycling? Well, it, dep- it depends on what kind of cyclist you are. I mean, the the it, if you're a, an elite athlete, you know, the, there's we're at a pretty high altitude, and there's a lot of we're right at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, and so the um, forgive me, I'm going to speak in um, feet and not metric, but you know, we're we're based at five thousand feet elevation, and the, you can easily from your bike in in an hour and a half climb up to ten thousand feet or in two hours up to ten thousand feet, which is over three thousand meters. So um and there's you know so many different canyons, so there's so many different ways to go up and down. Um so the road riding is fantastic. Um, if that's your thing. And then if you're more of just sort of a commuter, like I was talking about, I mean, the bike paths are also a a great part of living here. So it really just depends. Um, but you know, and then, and then community is another thing. I mean, the, the, the cycling community here goes back to the 1970s, um, when the elite athletes really first started focusing on Boulder because of the elevation. And that doesn't just include cyclists, but runners, um, you know, triathletes, um, you know, the Coors Classic was the first real major American stage race. And um, the Coors Classic has its roots in Boulder. Um, so, you know, I, it's, there's the terrain, there's the community, there's the ability to get around on the bike paths. Um, I don't know if I, had to, if I had to choose just one. I think for me at this point in my life, I really value the bike paths because um, I don't particularly like to ride my bike in traffic if I don't have to. Yeah, 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 makes sense. Well, uh, this comes on something that I was not expecting to ask you, but you know, as as I was saying, you are also a podcaster. Stuff only pops up. Um, so you are kind of one of the person that right now is also trying to, uh, let's say, is part of this movement that is moving. It looks like is moving everybody, all the passionate, passionate roadie off-road for sure in your past there is also mountain bike or whatever but the thing that i've been doing in this year in 2018 and before also in 2017 is a moving of a lot of roadies also to this gravel movement if we want to call it like this before also in the cross rides obviously usually cross ride is something a bit more related to winter you know you cannot go on the street because it's they are frozen or whatever now that's something that is a bit more all year long is the gravel ride how do you feel actually this changing is because we are changing as cyclists or because it's just that the situation i don't know the uh, the industry is changing or just because i don't know people just want a bit more about adventure what do you think about it? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'm not sure if there's just one answer. I think there it's several things. Um, I think the industry is responding okay. to a desire among cyclists to get off of busy, crowded, dangerous roads 
honestly. And I know that that's probably not what some people want to hear. Some people are very passionate about road cycling. I've been a passionate road cyclist for 20 years. I've been gravitating towards gravel riding because I am afraid of getting hit by a car. I'm afraid of people staring at their phones. I'm afraid of people who don't like cyclists. Um, and you know, that's not to say I don't ever ride on the road, but I, I, there are roads that I avoid that I used to ride. And, um, now more than ever, when I'm on the road, I'm on a gravel bike and I'm just connecting dirt sections and I'm on the road because I just need to get from one dirt section to another. I realize that I'm fortunate. Not everybody lives in an area where they can easily get onto gravel roads, particularly if you live in a major city, it's not always so easy. Um, but you know, I, I was talking about this with some friends recently and how I think for a lot of cyclists, they get into cycling and you know, they, they discover, and I'm talking specifically about road cycling and they discover that they love it. And then they have some exposure to, you know, elite level cycling, whether that's the Tour de France or Paris-Roubaix or whatever. And, you know, they start wanting, you know, maybe they start losing some weight and they start getting fit and then they get on a Strava and then they get a better bike and they want lighter components and more aerodynamic components and, you know, the shiny bling and carbon fiber this. And, and then it seems like after you've, kind of reached your potential, whatever that is, whether that's your Strava PR or whether you have done some racing. Um, and then you'd realize, you know, what you really want is you want to be comfortable. You, you don't really necessarily care so much about how aerodynamic you can be because maybe your back or your neck hurts and you want to be a little more comfortable. And then you start thinking, you know, really a little bit wider tire actually I can, I can run the tire pressure a little lower and that's a little bit more comfortable. And it gives me a little bit of a better uh, contact patch with the road surface. Um, so I'm more comfortable when I'm turning or when I'm descending. And, you know, it, it's funny how you all of a sudden weight maybe doesn't matter so much, um, as or aerodynamics doesn't seem to matter so much. And it's really just about the experience and the ride quality. And I think that's part of where the, the, the gravel thing comes as well. We were talking about the technology. I mean, over the last 10 or so years on the roadside, the, the tubeless tire has really been perfected. Um, and that allows you to, to run uh, lower pressure. You know, we've seen the, the advancement or the, um, what's the word? evolution of wider rims. So you, you know, you take a wider rim, you, you've got a wider tire, you've got lower pressure. Um, and then you, combine that with wanting to sort of get off the busy roads and you've got the perfect sort of recipe for these gravel bikes. So there's adventure, there's comfort, um, there's safety, and there's this technology, you know, disc brakes allowing for the, for the rider, sorry, allowing for the wider tires and, and wheels as well. Um, and it's just sort of a, a perfect storm, I guess. And, you know, I, I really enjoy it. You know, I do, I will say this. I mean, I, I've raced cyclocross for 10, 15 years off and on. And, you know, I, I understand the questions that people ask sometimes. It's like, well, what exactly is the difference between a cyclocross bike and a, and a gravel bike? I mean, it's the question of the year. I can say yeah. that this one is the question of the year. Go ahead. <laughs> and, you know, to be 
perfectly honest, there's not a huge difference. Um, the geometry can be a little bit different. Cyclocross bikes are a little bit more like a, you know, a road racing bike. And then cyclocross bikes tend to have a higher bottom bracket because, you know, whether you're riding over, uh, rough terrain or you're, you're, jumping over obstacles you know you don't want to be hitting your bottom bracket uh hitting your bike on things whereas gravel bikes tend to have a little bit more of a slack geometry a little bit of a a wider wheelbase but beyond that i mean they both have drop handlebars they tend to have disc brakes uh with wider tires and you know the tires also is a big difference i mean generally a cyclocross bike would have something with a more aggressive tire tread and knob to get through mud. Whereas a gravel tire, uh, is something that's more in between cyclocross and road, uh, something that you want to feel like you've got, you know, relatively low rolling resistance when you are on road, but can still sort of navigate dirt and gravel. But even within the gravel realm, there's different tires. I mean, the, the tire that you might ride on your local dirt roads is different than the tire you would ride at the the dirty Kanza, which is a 200 mile um, gravel ride in Michigan, which is very, very thick, rocky gravel. Um, so you wouldn't want a cyclocross tire there and you wouldn't want sort of a, a a fast rolling gravel tire there. You'd want a specific gravel tire for that purpose. But um, yeah, there's not a huge difference. And I understand why people kind of like to laugh about it a little bit. I think, um, you know, most gravel bikes, you could put a cyclocross tire on and go race cyclocross on it. And most cyclocross bikes, you could put a gravel tire on it and go ride gravel roads. So it's not a huge difference, but it is, it's sort of a, everything that goes along with it. It's not just the bike, it's the mentality, right? I mean, cyclocross is racing and it's very painful, hard racing. Anybody that's ever raced cyclocross, I mean, it's an hour long, as hard as you can go. Whereas gravel is more an adventure. It's more something you do with your friends and, you know, you stop along the way, take a photo, have some food. Um, you know, people wear we're like baggies, you know, baggy shorts, uh, on a gravel ride. I mean, it's not really necessarily about competition for a lot of people. It's just going new places, seeing new things and, and being in a quiet, safe environment. Yeah. I actually really like at a certain point you kicked off in the conversation, the concept of quality riding. That's exactly the thing, you know, also being a bit more, um, let's say, uh, facing a bit more adventure side and uh, having a more comfortable asset and having the freedom of stopping and taking a picture and staying with your friends, not being chased all the time by cars. Yes, that's quality quality riding, really. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, car, cars are part of the equation for any cyclist. Yeah. Um, and I think anybody who's been riding long enough has also had a, a negative experience with a motorist and, you know, with a, when you're riding with a group of friends and, you know, whether it's because it was a close call and it was really scary and kind of put your, you know, your whole life flashes before your eyes moment, yeah. or just because it's negative, whether, you know, you're yelling at the motorist and they're yelling at you, it can really just kind of, I don't want to say ruin a ride, but it can definitely leave a bad impression. And, and, you know, the, the, the fewer cars that you're around, the, the less likely it is for that to happen. 
Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Well, uh, I think that I have to make you this question. Then you were talking about quality writing. You were talking about the perfect uh, set to to get a good ride or whatever. Which one is your favorite bicycle right now to that you are riding in this period? Let's say. So I've been riding uh, the new Trek Checkpoint, which is a gravel bike that came out mm-hmm. a few months ago, um, and I really like it. It's you know it's a carbon bike with um, Shimano mechanical Ultegra 11 speed. Um, so, you know, it's not electronic, it's not Dura's, but it's it's very good. Uh, and what I really like about it, actually, it came um, specced with these 35 millimeter Schwalbe, um, I think it's called the, the G1 all around, or I think it's called, I'd have to okay. double check that. I believe that's right. Um, okay. And it's a great tire. I mean, when you're riding on the road, you feel like you're on a road tire. When you're when you're riding on the dirt, you feel like you're on more like a cyclocross tire. And 35 mil wide, and I, you know, I run that at about 45 psi. I weigh 170 pounds, um, and it's just comfortable. I mean, it's just confidence inspiring, and I mean, it's just fun. I mean, that's a you know, two of my colleagues here in Boulder, um, Trek came out, and they they put us all on these bikes, and we've all been riding them for the last couple of months. And that's the word that we keep coming back to is fun. It's just a fun bike, and you know, I think that's a little bit of a difference. Like I have a cyclocross bike hanging in my garage, and I used to have a, a time trial bike from when I was doing some triathlons with my wife. And when I look at those bikes, I look at them as race bikes. And particularly the TT bike, which I don't have any longer, but even the cross bike, I look at it as like a race bike and, you know, and I don't necessarily like cyclocross is fun, but when I look at the bike hanging in the garage, the first thing, the first thought that comes to mind isn't fun. It's more like suffering, right? It's like, that's, I had pain. I mean, whenever I looked at that TT bike, that was all I thought was that, that I just hurt on that thing. I just go out there and and flog myself suffer but with this bike i just think fun it's like a toy uh you know every time i go ride on it i just have a smile on my face and um you know i there's a lot of great gravel bikes out there that's just the one that i'm riding right now and i i really believe the tires are a big part of that equation um but yeah i i i remember the moment on strava where you you know you have a default bike uh if you've add your equipment to Strava. And I'd had this road bike as my default bike. And, uh, at one point I, you know, I kept changing every ride. I would change it to the, to the gravel bike, the Trek checkpoint. And I said, I'm just going to make this my default bike. So uh, that was kind of a significant And don't think about it anymore. Yeah. That was a significant moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can see the point. Yeah. It's yeah. It's great. Stop suffering on the bicycle, enjoying yep. it. And you know, the, the suffering, I mean, I'm all about it. I, i get it. I live where there are mountains and I've gone and tried to do my fastest time up these climbs for the last 15 years. And I wouldn't say those days are over. I haven't been doing that too much recently because of being a new father. And I had a, a little injury last year. Um, and I, I, I totally get that mindset and I'm in no way am I saying that um, there's anything wrong with that mentality. I just, you know, I, I think, in the end, it comes down to what do you enjoy? And, you know, for example, like I got my wife into cycling and, you know, she kind of went into the whole sort of endurance and suffering side with me on the road for a couple of years and triathlon. And then when she got a mountain bike, you know, for her, it was more about kind of the flow of the trail and the technical single track and just being outdoors. And, you know, she decided like for her, like, 
I, you know, you can still suffer on a mountain bike. I mean, there's some very hard climbs and, uh-huh. and they're steep and they're rocky and they're exposed. Uh, but it's just a different sort of way of pushing yourself. So, um, you know, if people like suffering, I'm not here to say that there's anything wrong with that, but, um, I think there's also room for just sort of enjoying being on the bike. And I, I think that sometimes people forget that. And I think that's sad if people forget that, that they get so focused on the performance that they, that they forget that, you know, riding a bike is about freedom and exploration and it's about sunshine and photosynthesis and companionship and adventure. So you are telling me that you don't have, let's say you don't have power meter in any of your bicycles. Oh, I've got a power meter on many of my bikes. Okay. That's no, I do. I do. And I still look, even when I'm going slow, even when I'm, you know, five kilos overweight and out of shape, I still check the power numbers. Okay. 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 No, just to know, you know, just to know, just to know it. <laughs> Great. Uh, then, yeah, it's, yeah. I need to ask you another suggestion, then we will move actually to the content creation side. Uh, I was thinking about my next year, you know that for me this year is going to be climbing on the Maratona and on the Etape du Tour. But I was thinking already about 2019 and my new challenges or whatever, I was thinking about a bit more um, off-road and dirty roads. And I was thinking actually maybe to improve a bit more my bike handling and my skills to move to mountain bike. At that point, on this conversation, would you recommend me to move to mountain bike or to switch directly to gravel bikes? Man, that I st- is- remember that I still love climbing. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think you could make the argument either way. I think you could say if you went to mountain bike, um, that probably would be sort of like a pun intended, a crash course in learning how to handle your bike off-road. Um, but, it, you know, depending on what kind of bike you're riding, you know, whether it's a hardtail or full suspension and what kind of trails you're riding, uh, you know, it can be a very, very different experience. Whereas to be on a gravel bike, if you're used to riding on the road, you're still on drop handlebars, you're, you know, it's essentially looks like a road bike, just perhaps with different tires and, and brakes if you're riding on disc brakes. Um, so, you know, you could sort of take, two approaches you could just go all in on mountain biking you're probably going to hit the ground a few times or Mm -hmm. get on a cross bike or or a a gravel bike and sort of ease your way into it um it's tough for me to say because i started mountain biking okay um, so i've sort of that's my roots and and that's my understanding of you know kind of getting into as an adult at least getting into competitive cycling um I don't think you can go wrong, honestly, but I will say this mountain biking is very different than road cycling. It's, it's, I think it's harder. Some people would disagree. It's just very different. Uh, It requires explosive efforts. It's a, it's very much about balancing, shifting your weight forward and back and side to side. Um, Whereas road cycling, you know, it's a lot more about cadence and breathing and sort of, um, enduring i mean mountain biking like there's sections on a mountain bike where literally it's like if you don't do a 10 second basically sprint you're not getting over those rocks that's just all there is to it you know and then you recover and then you do it again and then you recover it's a it's a very just different i mean that's why it's very difficult you don't often see high high level mountain bikers don't always excel at road cycling and and vice versa because it's a different physiology i mean it really is 
sort of just how you're built and, and, and what you what you gravitate towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have two things about it. I was actually scared that you at a certain point would say, would tell me, go for both. <laughs> but this would be actually a great solution. And then on the <laughs> other side, another thing that jumps into my mind, going a bit more on the pro-cycling things, it looks like actually mainly the difference between two of the main players of the cyclocross uh, world. We can see Vout one Van Aert, on one side going for the classics, going for uh, Tour de Flanders and going for Paris-Roubaix. And on the other side, Matthew Van der Poel going more on the mountain bike thing. And this exactly, uh, the th actually, is something, the topic that you were touching over here. You probably are built or at least you are building your body and you are building your skills for two different things because they are really two different objects least for pros yeah and if you it's interesting that you bring those guys up because they're a perfect example of of what i was sort of alluding to i mean wout van air as a cyclocross racer his real strength is he can go sort of one very hard pace for an hour and he's very good at the time trial mm -hmm. whereas matthew vander vanderpool is he's a superior bike handler and he's also superior in terms of sort of sprinting out of corners, um, you know, that the the very short hard effort and then and then recover, short hard effort recover. That's his strength. So it really it makes sense that Wout Van Aert would gravitate towards road cycling, where it's a little bit more of a steady, just sort of like how much power can you maintain? Whereas Matthew Vanderpool would gravitate towards mountain biking where it's more about technical skill and again, about those short explosive efforts. So, you know, even though they're, they kind of meet in cyclocross and they're, they're rivals in cyclocross, they actually have very different skill sets and physiological skills or, or gifts. Um, and, you know, in cyclocross, they match up pretty well, but then they sort of diverge. Although I think ultimately, Four years or three years from now, we'll see Matthew Vanderpool racing on the road. But first, he wants to try to win a, an Olympic medal in Tokyo at the uh, mountain bike. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe so. I believe so as well. And uh, yeah, listening to you talking with such a, let's say, a spirit and professionality about about both words. So the cycling, so the cycled, let's say, cycling, and also the pro cycling for sure we can tackle right now the thing of the cycling tips so your work as a journalist over there tell me more about that how you started writing about cycling if it was something just moving from one profession to the other or and actually which one is the things that you are trying to put in the things that you are writing and also on the things that you are talking about while you are podcasting is a bit more about talking about pro cycling is a bit more talking about the experience the both of them in which ratio? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I started as a journalist in college. I was actually a music journalist, uh, for the campus newspaper. And out of, when I, when I graduated college, I, I continued to write about music for a little while, but that was also right when I was really becoming passionate about cycling. And in order to be a music journalist, at least then, um, you know, you needed to be going to see bands, late at night in smoky clubs, um, you know, two, two or three nights a week. And that's just, wasn't conducive to the lifestyle that I wanted to live. I wanted to be out of my bike. And so, you know, I didn't want to be up late. I didn't want to be breathing secondhand smoke. Um, 
And so I sort of walked away from that and just focus on, on cycling. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, I, I moved to San Francisco and then I took the internship at Vela News. And Vela News is very much um, focused on competitive cycling, professional cycling, Tour de France, that sort of thing. Again, as I mentioned, um, that's right when Lance Armstrong was winning the Tour de France and you know before sort of everybody knew the full story about what was going on in terms of all the doping. Um, so, you know, for a few years there, I was just very passionate about it and that was kind of my focus and my interest. Um, I'm no longer with Vela News. I'm with Cycling Tips. I've been there for two and a half years. Cycling Tips is based in Australia. It was started by a guy named Wade Wallace, who is the founder and publisher. And my boss, Wade, is a, a great guy. He's actually a Canadian guy who uh, was living in Melbourne, um, working there when the financial crisis hit. And he was, you know, like many of his colleagues, he was laid off. And he started this blog, Cycling Tips, in I think 2008 originally it was literally tips for training and racing and then it just grew out of that and that's why we have the name and cycling tips we also do um i don't even want to say focus we also do race reporting and we have a um some of a focus on pro cycling but not in the same way as we did at vela news it's the the tagline of cycling tips is the beauty of cycling and, you know, we have big, colorful photos that take up your whole uh, screen. And, you know, we try to write a bit more about adventure. We have so, it's, yeah, Cycling Tips is a bit more about adventure. It's a bit uh, more about travel. Uh, there's, you know, training, tech, um, just a little bit more of a balance and a little bit of, less of a focus on sort of who's going to win what race on what day. Um, you know, those sorts of details. I mean, it's obviously part of it, but it, it, in other, some other cycling media outlets, racing is just sort of everything. And at cycling tips, it's just one piece of it. Um, and then what we do with the podcast is, you know, everything from talk about topics that we haven't written about for whatever reason, or go into further detail, further analysis, maybe a little bit more opinion, um, sometimes, you know, we're recording the podcast and a, a story has just broken and we haven't even written about it yet, but we'll just talk about it because it's, you know, it's, it's relevant. It's timely. Um, so, you know, the podcast is an extension of the editorial themes of the site there. Yeah. We usually start off with news and often the news is related to racing because there's always another race every day or every week. And, uh, so that's sort of low hanging fruit. That's easy. But then we also talk about tech um, and we talk about nerd alerts, the nerd alert. Exactly. We talk about tech, which, you know, James, with James Wong, um, Kaylee Fretz is, is the producer and, and the host. Um, and Kaylee and I actually used to work together at Vela News. So we we've known each other for a long time. You know, Kaylee was at, at my wedding. I was at his wedding. We, we've been friends. <laughs> okay. for, You're buddies. Yeah. Yeah, we're buddies. Um, James as well. Um, you know, we've all lived in Boulder and and worked at different cycling media outlets and been to product launches or races uh, for forever. Um, yeah, and the podcast has been received really well. I think we 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 work together well. Uh, we get along, and and you know we're developing a rhythm uh, in terms of just sort of bouncing ideas off one another and you know, sort of having some fun with it as well. 
Yeah, I can really. So the difference between your podcast it is the one that I really following the most, and then they are oh, for sure. I'm not gonna name them, not for now, <laughs> but they are tons of cycling podcasts talking about pro cycling and they are talking about adventure and whatever i believe that one is yours is one of the best because actually you can feel the vibes you can feel the vibes of three person that knows what that they know what they are talking about they are doing it in friendship i can feel it that you are buddies without any problem and they were they are never trying to be you know above the line they are talking about their things they are talking about their passion and it's really good and you can really understand actually the vibes over there they're not just their people talking about pro cycling and that they never have ridden their bicycle and they're just trying to interrupt to say a smart point of view it's just a perfect flow that's how i define it oh well thank you very much that's nice it's, to hear yeah we yeah. We, t we 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 talk a bit about chemistry and it's one of those things that's hard to define but you know it when you when you see it or when you hear it and i think yeah i think we have a good chemistry and um you know we all have sort of slightly different interests i mean james um he's you know very sort of technically minded and he doesn't really pay close attention to pro racing i mean You know, I think he watched the last 10K of Milan San Remo and the last hour of Perry Roubaix, you know, that sort of a fan. And uh, he's interested in the bikes that the pros are using. Uh, whereas, you know, my focus has been on racing for the last 15 years. And Kaylee, actually, when he started at, at Velo News, he was on the tech side, the product side. And, and then he's kind of moved over to the racing side. And at Cycling Tips, he does a bit of both. Um, and his focus is more on, on the podcast at Cycling Tips, where my focus is more on the, on the text. So, you know, we, but, you know, he also writes and I also do podcasts. So there's a lot of, we all have a little bit of experience in what one another is sort of uh, focused on or excels in. Um, but we also each kind of bring our own um, strengths, I guess. And, you know, that's, what's kind of fun is, uh, when we're talking about racing, you know, James just chimes in here or there with the limited knowledge that he has. And it's kind of the same when those guys get deep into a nerd alert that you know, my, I'm sort of very average in my, uh, tech knowledge and ability. I mean, I definitely would not say that I could build a bike from scratch, um, uh, you know, I can do the basics and I understand some things, but I am not on the level of James or Kaylee. And so that's fun though. That's fun because I think there's probably people who listen who are more, you know, in my realm. Um, so I can be the voice for them. And then when we're talking about racing, maybe the people who don't pay close attention to racing can be, you know, James kind of speaks for them. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I think I have to touch another thing, but if you don't want to answer to that just shout is not a problem um you mentioned it but in another view actually uh, you mentioned it while you were following this guy while he was winning all the tour de france but we all know that lance armstrong right now is also running a podcast and uh, well i have to say i can be completely honest with you i really like his podcast when uh, especially stages and one is commenting the uh one is commenting actually the races and the rides and whatever because you can really understand on their side that is somebody who knows about cycling and he doesn't hide i remember i was listening to his podcast while he was interviewing brian fogel from uh, the icarus dog, uh, doc the, the the documentary that won, won the um the awards this year and actually he was there without hiding at a certain point he was telling you man you were doping to win uh your race you were doing really too much i, I was never 
never doing so much over there. So, you know, also these kind of things. If somebody was riding the bicycle, he knows what he's talking about. And he's kind of sharing also the point of view of inside of the race, of the pro cyclist. Obviously, the famous one, obviously, with all the history and the good and the bad that is striking around. Uh, how do you consider these people jumping into the content bicycle world from the pro cycling? Like him, also Phil Gaimon, I believe. Well, he was always over there anyways. Uh, for um, uh, for Lance, it was different. Actually, he started with his podcast, doing other stuff, and then talking also about cycling. How would you consider, how do you judge, actually, his podcast and the content he's producing? Uh, well... To be perfectly honest, I have only listened to one podcast from Lance Armstrong. Okay. Um, and it wasn't one of his stages podcasts related to, to bike racing. It was the, I think it's called Forward, maybe is the other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Forward. Yeah. And uh, it was with a musician that I like, Jason Isbell. Okay. Um, and it was good. Yeah. And, you know, I, Lance is a, is a sharp guy. I mean, say what you will about some of the um, character issues or, or ethics or morals uh, that he demonstrated over the last 20 years. Um, he's a very shrewd individual and he's well-spoken um, and he has a lot of insight to the sport. Truthfully, I haven't listened to the cycling podcast primarily because during the Tour de France, I'm just very busy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and okay. you know, it's, I don't really have time um, to dedicate an hour. You know, I do listen to the cycling podcast. Um, I'm friends with the three individuals: um, Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Bernie. Uh, and I, I really value what those guys have to say. You know, I, I for years, I don't go on the road to the races as much as I used to. Um, but when I did, I would, I would talk to those guys or, you know, go for a, a drink or dinner with those guys. Um, and so I think for me, listening to their podcast sort of feels like I'm back in the press room or I'm back at dinner after the race. Um, you know, maybe I'm just chewing my food while they're talking, but it sort of takes me back to that. Um, and, and they have great insight and, and I value what they have to say. Um, perhaps it's also because they're, you know, they're journalists and I'm a journalist that, that I just tend to identify a bit more, but, uh, it's not that I don't listen to Lance's podcast out of any sort of protest or, or anything like that. I just, I think he only does the cycling stuff during the tour and, um, I'm just yeah. so, yeah. And also after the big races like now. Yeah. And I'm just generally tend to be really busy. Um, and also honestly, I, I, uh, I like to listen, like when I'm listening to podcasts, I like to listen to other things besides cycling. Like there's one. It's based on pod- Yeah. Yeah. There's one, uh, a political podcast here in the U S pod save America. Uh, those guys are great. And, you know, we were talking earlier about chemistry. Um, they have great chemistry and there's, there's four, four hosts. Um, but generally there's usually just three on any given podcast for pod save America. And they're all very sharp. Uh, and funny. And I mean, I've often tried to decide or figure out if I have a favorite among them. And I really don't. It's sort of whoever's talking at that moment is the one that I'm, is my favorite. And, uh, and I think that, you know, James and Kaylee and I have all listened to their podcast and that sort of vibe and chemistry that we were talking about, like that's something that we wanted to emulate. Um, so, you know, when I'm, when I have time to listen to a podcast, 
those are the two that I listen to most often. The Cycling Podcast, which is actually also three guys who have great chemistry. Uh, or Pints of America. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, you named uh, uh, the, the cycling podcast and you named Daniel Fripp that is actually, I think, is the author of one of the best books I've ever written about bicycles and stuff. And this is his book on uh, uh, Eddie Merckx, about Eddie Merckx. Wow. Yeah. Daniel is a, is a, uh, a very sharp, yeah, talented writer and analyst. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Daniel. He's a good guy as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. It's true. It's true. Okay, I will speed up. Maybe I'm gonna cut something, but I want to know. I want to ask you two more questions. I will try to mix two of those in one, and then the other one. And the first one: uh, Do you have actually? Do you have something in your mind? Something like the biggest challenge that you ever found and had on the bicycle, and on the other side, the biggest challenge that you ever found on your journalist career? So when you say the biggest challenge I've ever found on the bicycle, do you mean like one particular ride or just sort of in my, in my cycling lifestyle, what was the biggest challenge? The both of them. One, the one that you prefer, actually. Sure. Okay. Um, let me think. Well, I mean, truthfully, for me, the biggest challenge in my cycling experience would have to be the fact that I am not naturally gifted. Uh, okay. as an as an endurance athlete when i was in high school i was a track sprinter and i was pretty fast for you know um for somebody who didn't spend a lot of time running i mean i my senior year i went out uh to the track team because there was a girl who was playing soccer who i had a crush on and the so- you know the track was around the soccer field and that was my way to sort of see her and have her see me and meet her and Um, I wanted to run fast to impress her. And I was the fastest kid in the school. Um, you know, the first week that I went to go do track in the 100, 200 and 400 meters. Um, but that, th- that's not necessarily the same sort of muscle group that makes you a good endurance athlete. Yeah. And so, you know, I had sort of some strength, but, um, I had a bigger b- build and, you know, so f- to become any sort of, even just at an amateur level competitive cyclist, I had to kind of retrain my body and try to lose some weight. And, you know, the only way I've ever been what I would consider to be sort of a good cyclist is by riding a lot. I can't really rest on natural born talent. Um, I don't have a very strong engine. So the only way I can kind of keep up is if I'm riding somewhere between, I guess, like six and 10 hours a week, week after week. And then, you know, I, I'm still not going to be the fast guy, but I can, I can sort of suffer and gut it out. Um, so that was a challenge definitely, you know, just over the years learning to put in the time and sort of also accept the fact that I would never be, um, one of the fast guys, no matter what I just, uh, you know, I could be fast in a, in a sprint, but I'm never going to be a super light endurance climber type. It's not, not my body. Um, and then the biggest challenge in my journalism career, um, I think the big challenge for me has always been the Tour de France. And that's why I haven't been back in several years, just in terms of from a professional standpoint, it's, I don't think people have any idea how difficult it is to, to be in a different place every morning and every afternoon for a month, um, 
I, I used to joke with my colleagues that, you know, most of the time you're at the Tour de France, all you're doing is moving. Um, and also access is very difficult at the tour because it's such a big event. There's so many journalists, there's so many fans. And so I never really felt like what I was able to do at the tour was real journalism. It was more like packing up my bags, driving somewhere, unpacking my bags, setting up my laptop for an hour, trying to figure out my internet connection, reading my email, trying to figure out what's happening in the race, then packing it up and doing it all over again. And, you know, the struggles of hotels and meals and, and gas stations and language barriers. And I just, uh, it kind of, you know, I did the tour de France start to finish, I think for six years. And at the end of that, I just thought like, I just can't do it anymore. I mean, it just, and that's a month, you know, I mean, that's the other thing to keep in mind. I mean, it's because it's a month long, it's not even 12 months between one tour de France and another it's 11 months. Um, and, you know, and also like I was never able to ride my bike. I mean, you're always, you know, there's no room in the car and there's no time anyway. So you're at a bike race where the focus is cycling. And for a month, all you're doing is sitting in a car, eating gas station sandwiches. And, you know, I actually, over time, I tended to sort of like drink a lot at the tour because by the time the day was done, you were just so exhausted and blown out and it was sort of like all you had to look forward to was having a few beers and some wine with dinner so i'd come back to my house you know i come home after a month on the road and i hadn't exercised and i hadn't eaten well and i'd you know drank several beers every night and i just felt out of shape and exhausted and um yeah so you know not to complain i love my job yeah um and i feel very fortunate but the Tour de France is a is a particular beast, and I don't think unless you've lived it, uh, you can re- really appreciate how difficult it is. And I think that's why it's perfect for me to listen to the cycling podcast because I can listen to it while I'm out riding my bike here in Colorado, uh, and I don't have to you know go sleep in a strange hotel and get up in the morning and drive to a start somewhere. I just listen to those guys like I would in the press room. Uh, and then I go play with my daughter. <laughs> Can understand. So uh, it's true what they say, actually, that the Tour de France is completely exhausting, not only for the riders, but also for the journalists. Yeah, yeah. I've heard several former riders who have be- become, uh, you know, commentators. Um, like Christian Vandeveld is one that comes to mind that say, oh, it's way harder. It's way harder. I mean, obviously, it's physically very exhausting as, as an athlete. But those guys, I mean, from the minute they get off the bike, they're taken care of, right? I mean, pretty much the hardest thing they have to do after they finish the stage is is take a shower. And you know, they've got meals are prepared for them and all the driving is done for them. The, the suitcases are taken to their room and from their room. I think maybe they bring their suitcases back down in the morning. So uh, they do that. But, uh, you know, they get to the hotel and the suitcases are waiting for them in their room. Um, they get massage. Uh, so, you know, they're like physically it's very exhausting, but they don't have to deal with a lot of the stress, a lot of the logistics. Yeah, the logistics is not on there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But you are not saying that for them it's easier than for you, right? No, it's just different. It's just different. It's, okay. a, it's a different okay. set of stresses. Um, you know, I think that obviously from a physical standpoint, I mean, the Tour de France as a journalist is not that physically challenging at all. It's going to be a little hot sometimes. Uh, but uh, but it's just it just wears you down mentally. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Wow, it's so cool actually to listen to somebody who did. You said six Tour de France. Yeah, I mean, I've been to more, but I, I did six. There was a period where I did six start to finish in a row. I think I did one or two before that. And I've been a couple times after where I've only gone for a week or 10 days, but I did six in a row, um, you know, from before the start all the way to Paris. Wow. Wow. And now there's somebody else doing it. Yeah. <laughs> from cycling tips at least. Yeah. I just remember one morning in particular, it was, uh, it was the day after an Alpe d'Huez finish. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the town that's at the bottom of Alpe d'Huez. It'll come to me. And we'd had a few drinks the night before. I was a little hungover. Um, I was walking on a crowded road and there was the, there was like a loudspeaker from the sign in stage. And then there was also a loudspeaker from uh, a caravan vehicle and they were sort of at an intersection and it was a crowded street. I couldn't really get where I needed to go. There were these two loud speakers, one coming into each ear. I was sort of stuck. I was a little bit hungover. And I just remember thinking in that moment, and it was like stage 17. So it was, you know, late into the race. And I just remember thinking that if a helicopter flew over right above me and dropped a ladder down, I would get in that, I would climb up that ladder, get in the helicopter and fly away and never come back. I just remember having that thought. Like, <laughs> Don't I, let me see this thing anymore. <laughs> forget about the suitcase. Forget about my laptop or my friends. I would literally just vanish and not come back. Um, yeah, I've had a couple of moments like that at the tour. Yeah, okay. But there's no possibility for you journalists, you or whoever was with you to ride the bicycle also. You are really full, feel completely... Uh, overwhelmed by job and by work. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and also just logistics. I mean, just from where you have to be and the amount of time you have to get there. Um, you know, if you perfect scenario would be if you had two cars, say you had four people, a team of journalists, you had two cars, you could have one car that only went to the start and talk to riders. And then you had one car that only went to the finish and, you know, talk to riders and went to press conferences you could conceivably go to the start and then once the race begins, just go to your hotel and you could go ride for a few hours. Or if you were on the team that only went to the finishes in the morning, you could get up and ride for a few hours before you went to the finish. But if you're in a car that's going to every start and every finish, there's just no time. One year when I was with at Velenus and I was with Kaylee, we were at the Giro. He had a bike. He and I ride the same size bike. And what we would do is we would go to the start And then one person would just leave on the bike and the other person would give that person about an hour, hour and a half then. And we would ride the route um, and then just go pick them up on the road um, ahead, you know, either ahead or behind the race. Um, or, you know, we would drive up ahead and get within an hour of the finish and let a person out of the car and then say, okay, I'll see you in the press room. Um, so th there were ways to do it, but you, you know, you, You had to be very, very efficient with your time. Okay, okay. Yeah, great. Well, I will, uh, I think that uh, we will wrap up after this last question. Can you give me, first of all, anybody else that is actually inspired by your podcast, by my podcast, by uh, the cycling podcast, by the Lance Armstrong, whatever, by whoever podcast, a couple of tips on how to make a podcast unique or a piece of content. Also, I love to read your articles, so. Sure. Um, well, 
I mean, we talked a bit earlier about chemistry and I do think that's important. Yeah. I think, um, I think it works to have several people if you can, um, because then you can kind of bounce ideas off of one another. You can joke around. If one person has a, a moment where they lose their train of thought, the other person can come in and rescue them. So chemistry is, is a big one. Uh, the other thing that I've learned, whether it's on video or on a podcast is not to spend too much time thinking about what you're saying in terms of if you really start to focus on how you're speaking and if you've made a mistake, you can freeze. It's true. And, and then you're like, Oh, you know, did I, do I need to sit, do I need to do that over again? Um, you know, do we need to edit that? And just keep talking. I mean, just talk like you would speak with your friends and don't focus on it. You know, once you start focusing on it, everything comes undone. You don't focus on what you're saying when you're just chatting with your friends or your colleagues and it should be the same. It shouldn't, you shouldn't speak so differently. Um, you want to speak a little more clearly, but you know, don't worry about it. I think that's, that's a big one. Because uh, you end up causing more problems when you start really worrying about how you sound or if you've made a mistake or if you mispronounce something. Um, and then I guess for content in general, I mean, when I'm writing, you know, I've heard people talk about writer's block and, and I, I mentioned that earlier that I haven't really ever suffered from that. I think one mistake that people make with writing is they sit down and they think, okay, what's my first sentence? And how do I start this? And I don't write like that. I just start writing. And often what I start writing is some ends up somewhere in the middle. Um, just start writing. I mean, just what do you have to say? Just say it, start saying it. And then you can figure out later where it goes. And, you know, sometimes what I start writing ends up being at the very beginning and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, you know, to, to sit down and think like, okay, I need to write the headline first. And then I need to write the introductory paragraph first is – it's it's a linear way of thinking, but ideas aren't linear. Ideas just come at you, and I don't think you should. Um, anybody should feel constrained that they have to get their ideas uh, um, in a linear chronological event on paper. Just just get them all down there, and that's the beauty of copy and paste, right? I mean. Uh, you know, worry about that later. It's not quite the same with a podcast. I mean, you know, unless you want to do a whole lot of editing, but um, certainly if you're, you know, if someone's doing an outline for a podcast then just write down all the ideas and figure out later what order you want to put them in. Um, but I think that a lot of people get overwhelmed by the idea that they have to have it immediately right the first time or immediately. And I think that's unfortunate and, and misguided just, you know, I, I oftentimes with writing, I tell people like, imagine you have a one minute phone call with somebody. Um, like you went to a race or you did an interview or whatever it is. And you have one minute to talk to somebody who doesn't know nearly as much about that subject as you do. What would you tell that person in the one minute? I was at this race and this is what happened today. This was what was most interesting. Or I just had this conversation with this person and we talked for an hour, but the, the, the three things that he said, or she said that I found most interesting was this. Okay. That's your story. I mean, you already know what your story is. Like, why are you worrying or wondering about what the story is? Just give yourself one minute, 60 seconds. What was, what was interesting? That's, that's it. And then figure out how to, you know, how to tell that in a way that's most compelling. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, the thing that I'm telling all the time, actually, and that's the perfect topic, have your story and take your point of view and say it. Don't put any structure on your creativity. Yeah, exactly. Do it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And I think that's what's what's really kind of cool about the internet and new media is that we've done away with some of the old school thought on how something needs to be told. Uh, you know, like the whole whatever five paragraph essay or, you know, the inverted pyramid. I mean, you know, just as sort of the workplace has changed and not everyone wears a three piece suit anymore. I think that the you yeah. know the the ideas around content have completely changed and it's you know just be creative i mean that's you know that's what people want they want something different they don't want the same thing they can find anywhere else you know have a voice and don't be afraid exactly of taking position and say your and to let your voice to be listened yep. to it's true yeah yeah great okay neil it was really a great pleasure to yeah, talk with you likewise it's fun yeah yeah i will yeah and again thanks a lot to be here and i will continue to listen to your podcast i also hope that other people here around will actually get also a bit of cool things and hear about cool things from your podcast and whatever and reading your articles and consuming the cycling tips website and yeah enjoy your rides yeah and <laughs> And for the people who are listening, if, if they find their way to Boulder, um, you can find me on Twitter at Neil Rogers and uh, drop me a note and we'll go for a ride. For sure. It's an, it's an invite also for me, right? Everyone. Yeah, of course. Perfect. <laughs> okay, Neil, then enjoy your Friday morning for you on Boulder. And yeah, I will talk to you soon. And yeah, thanks. Thank you. And thanks, Neil. And it was really great pleasure to talk with you. Probably we are going to talk again. And for sure, we are going to ride together the bicycle in Boulder, Colorado. I want to wrap it up because it's really a long episode. So thanks to everybody and send me your feedback on hello at calamaro.cc. That's my email. Instagram.com slash calamaro.cc. Facebook.com slash calamaro.cc. Subscribe, follow me, whatever, everything there. Twitter.com slash read calamaro. Spreaker.com slash listen calamaro. And on Apple Podcasts, look for Broom Wagoon and smash the subscribe button and you will receive my updates every single week, every single Tuesday, actually. And thanks to my two sponsors, Wahoo and Isadore. Kiss to everybody better than kisses. Kisses to everybody. I will talk to you next week. Bye.